Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the D-Hoop University podcast. This is your host, Daryl Harris, also known as D-Hoopster. And the time has come. The Royal Rumble number is here. The entrance music is playing. My name is flashing across the Titantron, folks. We're talking wrestling. Without further ado, let's get right into it. begin this new book full of chapters that will never really end because much like the world of wrestling this will be a fluid fluid segment and intertwining of topics on this podcast we are finally getting to my love of wrestling which in the year of our lord 2023 is on fire the wrestling industry, the wrestling business, professional wrestlers themselves, everything, everything is is cooking. It's rolling on all cylinders. And I've been a lifelong fan. Backstory on me and my wrestling origins, which wasn't in the rundown, <laughs> but I'm youngest of my generation. So I got all older brothers, sisters, siblings, cousins, everybody, everybody's older than me, but Everybody knew Daryl likes wrestling. Daryl loves wrestling. Granny's going to let him stay up till 11 o'clock on Monday nights because he gets to watch Raw. On Fridays, he's watching SmackDown in the living room. Leave him alone. <laughs> you don't You don't get to use the TV for programming that's not wrestling on the days that, Ma- that Raw and SmackDown were on growing up. In my granny's house. Everybody knew this. And they're all older than me, as I prefaced. So they know the deal. They know wrestling scripted. They know wrestling's not real, air quotes. And they're protecting my little bubble of of fandom still. I've got all the action figures. I've played all the video games. My, My video game history dates back to SmackDown, Just Bring It, which might have came out in 0201 maybe. And what's crazy is I remember going to JCPenney at the Carson Mall, which for some reason had the game. But when my granny would, was driving still, I remember her going to give me that first game. That was my introduction. That might have been on PS1. Who knows now? But since day one, folks, I've been a wrestling fan. And um I hit the I hit the cool, the cool mark around middle school where I was like, okay, I guess everybody's, you know, banging on me for saying this is fake. I guess I should start getting into talking to girls or whatever else middle school nonsense is uh you're supposed to get into as a teenage boy. <laughs> so we also have a long commute, so I'm gone for long hours of the day. I'm not home to watch wrestling as I used to be in elementary school, you know. 
um, at basketball practice or I'm at drama rehearsal or, you know, some other extracurricular. So I fall off from wrestling. Um, I glossed right over how I found out Undertaker and Kane were uh, the most frightening creatures that I had known to exist. <laughs> That's another story I'll get to. But 2013 or so, I fall off of wrestling, but I start using the, I've already fallen off, but I start using the Bleacher Report app around that time. And around that time, I'm also already versed in the podcast. I've shared this story about my podcast history before as well, that I was already listening to First and Ten, which grew to become First Take um, when they had audio links on the ESPN website and podcasting was an infant. And I was following sports in the car because we had two, three, sometimes four hours of daily commute, if not easily more. So I spent my time, you know, listening to music in the back, you know, and listening to podcasts using Bleacher Report. I see that there is a WWE tab again in the year 2013. And I'm starting to follow these notifications. And I said to myself, what is WWE doing here on this sports app? with articles and reportings and rumors and power rankings and reviews. And I'm like, I haven't been gone that long. What's, what's going on here? <laughs> um, so first podcaster I was introduced was uh solid monster sounds off. Jason Solomon He's a great guy, great podcaster by all means, check out solid monster sounds off. He records very frequently, but that was my introduction on YouTube and online, listening to him talk about wrestling. And at the time, this guy CM Punk kind of set the the world on fire because he dipped, smooth dipped, walked out of WWE right after Royal Rumble 2013, January, and what kickstarts the road to WrestleMania. Long story short, CM Punk's departure paved the way for what was known as the Yes Movement and Daniel Bryan main events WrestleMania that year and one of the fairy tale endings of WrestleMania. It was WrestleMania 30, 2013, New Orleans. He defeated Randy Orton and Batista, the main event, to become the new unified heavyweight champion. Even though Batista came back from his Hollywood departure, joining Guardians of the Galaxy won the Royal Rumble match and was supposed to be beloved. Fans completely showered him with booze because he wasn't Daniel Bryan. So CM Punk's exit, who was another main event talent, for a host of other reasons. We'll get into CM Punk on the next episode. When we're talking wrestling, at least. But this revolt happens because this guy dips and he goes on this hiatus. He doesn't show his face for years and years and years and years, but he records a podcast in the interim about why he left WWE. And that is what dragged me back into wrestling because I was hearing it covered essentially with the fourth wall being broken in a way that was mind boggling to me. I'm like, wait a second what all these guys understand who's supposed to win and who's supposed to lose but there's behind the scenes workings 
of what gets somebody into that position and how it's somewhat up to them, somewhat up to the company in terms of how they're received and how that whole transaction and sequence plays out, whether or not it's successful or not, whether or not it's getting over with the fans. Terminology that you guys will all soon become familiar with if you just keep listening to the pod. But the impetus for this podcast was that, and of course, it, it goes back to basketball. So there, that that's the reason that I'm doing this pod right now by myself, because this is the teaser. This is the warm up, the appetizer, if you will, for wrestling being a mainstay on this podcast. It had to come back to the basketball somehow, because that, that's the common thread that we have on this listening experience is that we're all fans of basketball if not we just want to listen to good conversation that's what we try to provide on this podcast and let's look at the Oklahoma City big three I went down some rabbit hole of thinking about the, the Oklahoma City big three of Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook and James Harden not too long ago and I said to myself there has never been, and this isn't earth-shattering news, whoever's familiar with the OKC Big 3 knows that they had lightning in a bottle at the time. But looking back in retrospect, 10, 12, 13 years later, I think you can say pretty definitively that three teammates with higher individual ceilings were never a part of the same team before like they were in OKC. And at the time, we didn't know it. But Kevin Durant was the leader of that trio at the time. Russell Westbrook, starting point guard, kind of next in command. James Harden, as the sixth man, was clearly on the same level as those guys. But for lineup's sake and kind of where the NBA was at the time, he was slotted into a manager Noli kind of role where he came off the bench and he was a contributor, but he was considerably the third member of that big three. And he was the first to go when OKC had tough decisions to make financially in terms of how are we going to keep three max guys together? And they decided to move James Harden in a move that got them back, you know, <laughs> Kevin Martin and maybe a Terrence Jones and some other pieces I forgot now, but pieces on the dollar that, that were nowhere near the magnitude of what James Harden would go on and become in, in the NBA. But what we had in those three guys were three guys who won MVPs, three guys who had been on the cover of NBA 2K, three guys with their own signature shoe, Three guys who have led the league in scoring. Three guys who, for my 2K analogies, which I love to make, three guys who have all been 96s, 97s at one point in time in their careers on NBA 2K. So we're saying that three guys were drafted in consecutive drafts to the same team that had best player in the league ceilings that they would go on to achieve. And 
the 30 for 30 about the OKC Big Three will have to focus on the fact that this once-in-a-generational sort of pairing was in their lap, and they lost it because at the time, three max players on the team was was kind of foreign in the NBA. But they missed out on so much, so much. We'll literally never be able to fathom what was possible if that big three stayed together. They reached the NBA Finals in 2011-2012 against the Miami Heat in what was their climax as a group. Harden was gone the following season. KD and Westbrook held it together for a couple of years, led the Western Conference a couple of years, were knocking on the door of a championship, up 3-1 over the Golden State Warriors before they ever had won a title. Lost that 3-1 lead. Kevin Durant jumps ship from the Thunder to the team that just defeated them, leaving his guy Westbrook high and dry the following year. Kevin Durant does go on to reach his new heights of back-to-back championships and finals MVPs and daggers on the biggest stage of them all and those legacy-defining moments that he has that his counterparts have never been able to accomplish. They, they have never gotten to that peak like Kevin Durant did of the NBA Finals and being victorious on that stage. But it was magic. It was special. And I made the comparison that the Shield and WWE were essentially the Oklahoma City Big Three in 2011-2012. And they, too, had a path that was one of a kind, trailblazing, shook up the industry when they were introduced. And after they dissolved, the three of them are currently, if there was a three-person version of Mount Rushmore for wrestling, I think that they'd be a deserving face of that monument. And now... Let the let the breakdown begin. This is the granddaddy of all wrestling analogies. The OKC Big Three to the Shield. Now let's let's go down. Let's go down a wrestling wormhole, folks. This is for the lapsed fan, as I've said on Twitter and on previous episodes. Wrestling was ubiquitous at a time with in the Attitude Era. If you go past that, and we're talking about like our parents' generation, folks, the Golden Era. Hulk Hogan and the the dawn of WrestleMania and the Macho Mans and the Ultimate Warriors and the Roddy Pipers and Andre the Giants leading into the Shawn Michaels and the Undertakers and the WCW and the NWO into the Attitude Era with Stone Cold, The Rock, Degeneration X. Ever heard of them? This was a time when wrestling did incredible numbers on Nielsen ratings week and week. There was a Monday night war with dueling shows on Turner Broadcasting and on wherever Monday Night Raw was under at the time, whether that was Universal or Sinclair or whoever it might be now. But it was a time where wrestling was inescapable. It was the talk of the town. Like we said, we've all been in probably elementary school either throwing the DX chops and getting in trouble or 
actually wrestling after school and getting in trouble. <laughs> but wrestling is something that was foundational in, in youth upbringing for generations. So the beauty of wrestling is once you kind of get past the childhood fandom, you realize that it's still so beautifully layered and nuanced and deep and the storylines literally go back to when we were children and it's a soap opera it's a canon that is actually documented and journalists reporters the wrestlers themselves who are still standing you know they are the the testament to how the industry has been passed down essentially and there's countless stories to be had underneath that umbrella but we will now pick this thing up in 2012 november 18th 2012 to be exact that is the debut of the shield the shield was a group of three men that being roman reigns seth rollins and dean ambrose now for the purpose of this analogy I have assigned Roman Reigns as the title of Kevin Durant. Seth Rollins is the Russell Westbrook in this comparison. And the formerly known Dean Ambrose, who is now known as John Moxley, is the James Harden of this group. And now there are limitations. There's limitations in that KD, what he has over the other guys in terms of rings, that's more definitive than what it's honestly not, but it's slightly more definitive because that is the end all be all in professional basketball in terms of legacy There's your championships, finals, MVPs, things like that. And wrestling is world titles. Now all three of these men have been world champion, but what makes Roman Reigns different and we're going to start with Roman Reigns is because he is the tribal chief. Ladies and gentlemen, acknowledge our tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Before we get into a little more about Roman, some, some S.H.I.E.L.D. highlights. They debut in 2012. It's a match between John Cena, everybody's favorite, and Ryback, who is this, you know, grizzly Paul Heyman guy who is essentially, you know, one of the next heels, villains, beasts that's being fed to John Cena because John Cena had a period like Hulk Hogan, like Stone Cold, you know, like The Rock, where he is the face of the company. And he did that for a longer stretch than either of those guys did, any of them. John had a stretch of easy 10 to 12 years where he was just the man, the, the guy. I love John Cena. I had a mini spinning belt. I had the hustle, loyalty, respect hoodie. You know what I mean? Growing up. I, you know, made signs and saw these guys at wrestling shows. But he's fighting Ryback. These three men in combat gear, all black, all black tactical riot gear, so to speak, show up unannounced at the end of a Monday Night Raw, assault Ryback, take him out. No weapons even, but to just maul them three on one. Um, jump him, put him through the announce table, and 
on commentary, Michael Cole, shout out to Michael Cole, introduces these guys as they get in front of his face because this was just a blindside assault. And Michael Cole's like, that's, hold on, that's that's Roman Reigns from NXT. And that's, and that's Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. What are these guys doing here? Now, NXT um, is a developmental branch of WWE. The art of professional wrestling has to be taught. You can be athletic and you can have charisma and you can have coordination. But if you don't know how to wrestle, how to take bumps, how to callous your body for the wrestling mat and the wrestling demands, they do this 365 days a year, folks. You start off training in the performance center which is what we have now. This all evolved. The 2011-2012 version of NXT that these three guys all came out of, it's nothing like what it is today. We'll get into NXT today at a later date. I love NXT 2.0. Still serves a tremendous purpose and it, it produces great content. But in 2012, this is the, the foundational years of, of this new NXT black and gold era. Seth Rollins, in fact, was the very first NXT champion. And he entered WWE, the umbrella and NXT. Um, his former persona was Tyler Black in Ring of Honor, a separate wrestling promotion where he had already established a fandom. People know this guy can wrestle. They know he has, you know, what it takes. So that's why he was the first NXT champion. Roman Reigns, on the other hand, is in Anawaii. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Samoan bloodline dynasty that has been in wrestling wrestling since the 70s. And even before that, starting with the Wild Samoans, this is the bloodline that encompasses Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, his dad, Rocky Johnson, his, you know, Samoan, American Samoa counterparts, Pacific Islanders, the lineage of Yokozunas and Omagas and, and Rikishis, and countless guys, like I said, through the 80s, 90s, 2000s, Roman Reigns, Joe Anawaii is, he's next up. There's no stopping him. This guy was a former college football player at Georgia Tech. He's jacked. He's next in line. He's got the hair. He's got the tribal tat. It was small at first. He had a lot of open space he went to fill up, but this was the guy, no doubt about it. You know, he he's walking those shoes. He has this blood in him. Dean Ambrose, on the other hand, he entered as the wild card. He had a wrestling background similar to Seth Rollins, also known as Tyler Black. He was known as John Moxley before he came into WWE and became Dean Ambrose. He wrestled in Japan. He wrestled in other companies like Ring of Honors as he was coming up. And he established himself as hard-working, you know, tough, blue-collar wrestler. So the three of these guys are now together, and they're called the Shield, referred to as the Hounds of Justice. They really showed up without a understanding of what their purpose was, and they were these anonymous hitmen that for a while were loosely associated with CM Punk, who at the time was a uh, heel bad guy tyrant who you didn't know what he was capable of behind the scenes pulling strings he also was wrapping up a 454 
day title reign, which was the longest of the modern era. I reference that reign specifically because that will be Jesus. That will be <laughs> overshadowed in the fullest extent by what Roman Reigns is currently doing. But at the time, that's who the Shield was. They were undefeated for a long time, a couple years. They were all simultaneously champions for a long time. Dean Ambrose was kind of the leader of the Shield in that he was the singles champion. He was the one that stood on his own the most. When they cut their backstage promos and this dark, grungy kind of vibe, he was the one that was usually in the middle or he would stand out and kick things off in things usually. But Roman Reigns was the muscle. He was the enforcer of the shield. He didn't say much. He didn't have to say much. He wasn't supposed to. But he was the muscle, like I said, the enforcement behind what they were doing. And if you want to take us down, the final boss of the shield was Roman Reigns. Now, Seth Rollins was the fan favorite. He dyed part of his hair blonde so he had the the blonde streak and he would just he was a man he was just a missile back and forth he would do these incredible suicide dives through the ropes over the top rope back to back to back when Seth Rollins came in the pace picked up he was the high flyer out of the bunch he did top rope maneuvers springboard maneuvers you know going through tables jumping off of ladders that was Seth Rollins boss to the wall putting his body on the line, the excitement of the group. Now, the Shield, like I said, had a successful run. They go all the way through 2014, go to WrestleMania, defeat, you know, defend their, their titles at WrestleMania. They leave WrestleMania that year, and they enter a feud with the reformed Evolution, because remember I mentioned Batista came back 2013, rather, and had a failed push he was meant to become the next champion meant to main event wrestlemania the fans said nope we're not having that we want daniel bryan so after wrestlemania when bryan beat randy orton and batista they said well hey let's repair randy orton batista and triple h who was also an on-screen figure still at the time he was the authority figure the kind of new vince mcmahon who was the general manager, him and his wife, Stephanie, were rigging whoever the top babyface was and stacking the deck against them. So after Mania came and went, Evolution reformed and the Shield took on Evolution. Evolution was a dominant faction in the, in the 2000s. So this was sort of a, you know, Jordan stepping across the field to go against, you know, Kobe for the couple of years they shared the league together, where it's like, look at this. We're getting these guys against each other. This is pretty darn cool. We didn't know that would be the last feud for the Shield. And it was because after a pair of matches against each other, they the Shield stood in the ring while some members of the Authority and Evolution were on the ramp and they were bickering. Of course, they had a war of words. The Shield was telling them, come on, bring it down here. Face us. You know, come to the ring. Let's fight again. They were holding. Seth Rollins is holding a chair. And who would he strike with that chair? 
spoiler alert, folks, it was an evolution. You hit Roman Reigns in the back with the chair. Seth Rollins, the beloved one out of the group. The one that everybody was rooting for. Turned to the dark side. Stabbed his shield brothers in the back. Hit Roman with the chair. And then took, he, he hits Roman with the chair one time. And then he hits Dean Ambrose with the chair like 14 times. <laughs> and we have the first line in the sand of the shield drawn. And it's Seth is now the outcast. He has now joined the authority. He has turned his back, like I said, on the shield. And the the darling trio of, like I said, the hounds of justice are no more, ladies and gentlemen. So this now puts a wedge in these guys for the first time. And the next month, Seth goes on to capture money in the bank which is a ladder match stipulation where you win this match, you win this briefcase that's just good for 365 days for an impromptu title opportunity. Remember that. So the shield breakup. Remember Roman Reigns was always supposed to be the guy. He's the Anawaii, the next generation of Anawaii is walking. He also has cousins in the WWE at this time. Jimmy and Jay, the Usos, they are a tag team that have also been tearing it up on their own. They have not been linked in any way outside of the fact that, you know, they were two main roster. They shared the main roster together and occasionally had matches together. But we didn't enter this on camera reality of them being family. And we wouldn't do that for years to come. Roman enters Royal Rumble. 2014 with all the momentum behind him in terms of what the company wants the year prior to this 2013 when the shield was still intact roman reigns set a record for eliminations in the royal rumble and the crowd was in love with this guy this was before he ever talked for himself this was before the shield broke up this is before he was a singles competitor but that's the way things go in wrestling Fans are fickle. They like things and want things when they want them. They don't want to be told what to want and enjoy. So the following year, the machines behind Roman Reigns, Royal Rumble comes. It's supposed to be his moment. They book him in what was a very lackluster way to win the Rumble, I will say. But they book him to win the Rumble. 12 months ago, the fans loved this guy. 12 months later, not only is he getting booed, after winning the Royal Rumble, he's getting booed after winning the Royal Rumble with his cousin, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, next to him, raising his hand in the air. And there's this iconic capture of The Rock in the ring holding Roman's arm up. And you see his face puzzled. He's like, what the hell is going on? Why are they booing this guy out the ring? Why are they booing me? What's happening? And that's the case in point of wrestling fans having to control the narrative and, you know, let their opinions be heard. They didn't want Roman to win like that. At the time, they still liked Daniel Bryan. They still liked other guys that, you know, they used to like Roman organically. And now he was on his own and 
sort of struggling because he was the one that held on to all of the pieces of the shield. He kept the music. He kept the entrance, except now we're giving him a microphone and he's saying cookie cutter lines and he's beating everybody. That gets old. That gets old very quickly. They were bigger fans of Ambrose while he was on his own because he had to fight adversity still. He was still beloved while being pushed down by the powers that be. So doesn't matter. Roman's the guy they want to be the guy. So he gets the main event moment by winning the Rumble. He will now face Brock Lesnar, ladies and gentlemen, at WrestleMania 31 at Levi Stadium, San Francisco. Now, this match was just getting killed leading up to it for the push, the final push going into WrestleMania for these guys. These, they had these guys, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, two guys who were 6'3", 6'4", 250, 60 pounds of jacked muscle and, you know, old school wrestling bodies. They had these guys do a tug of war over the belt. And that was the last image you saw before WrestleMania. So rightfully so, fans were not happy to get this. Now, Sunday night rolls around, WrestleMania, Levi Stadium. Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns steal the damn show. They go out there and give everybody what everybody loves to big-ass guys going out there and really colliding. Just a real clash of titans. Brock Lesnar makes himself bleed the hard way. He's whooping Roman's ass. He has this iconic line where he's just giving him German suplex after German suplex, throwing this guy back and forth. He looks at the camera during the match and says, suplex city, bitch. (laughs) And the dawn of suplex city which is a reference that Brock Lesnar held on to for a very long time. It it ran its full course and it was worth it. But that moment was birthed in that match. So the two of these guys are having a slobber knocker. Shout out to Jim Ross. Good old JR. Moment happens where they're both down in the middle of the ring. Championships on the line. Guess whose music hits? Middle of the match. Seth freaking Rollins. Because remember... He won the Money in the Bank briefcase. So he won this briefcase, mind you, about nine, ten months prior. So he's been holding this briefcase with these black gloves and these, you know, black tights that he wore. Just saying, hey, it's only a matter of time before I get my hands on the WWE championship. And mind you, none of the Shield have reached that plateau of becoming world champion yet. Because they were together up until now. So Roman Reigns always was supposed to be that guy. Is in the main event. He's billed, not Seth. But Seth Rollins runs down this long ass ramp at Levi Stadium, sprinting, holding the briefcase, runs in there, hands it to the referee. We had never seen this, folks. We had never seen a cash in at WrestleMania. We had also never seen a cash-in during a singles match. And this is at a time where there was about t- 9, 10 years of cash-ins because the Money in the Bank was created at WrestleMania 21 in 2005. This is 2013, 2014 now. 2014 to be exact. 
where Seth is cashing in this briefcase at WrestleMania in the middle of a match. He the the 90 seconds after that are just beauty. There's a false finish to where you think he's gonna stomp Brock. Brock vaults him into the air, catches him for an F5. Brock gets speared with Seth on his shoulders by Roman Reigns. Roman Seth falls. He runs, bounces off the ropes, curb stop to Roman Reigns, pins Roman Reigns. One, two, three, bell rings. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Rollins is your new WWE champion. He takes the belt, sprints his ass back up that long ramp, swings it over his head iconically while the legend Michael Cole is on commentary and says, Seth Rollins, with the heist of the century, is our new WWE champion. Pyro's going off. Incredible moment. So Seth. Seth Rollins, the first NXT champion, becomes the first member of the Shield to become world champion. And what was a plot twist to everybody involved. Now, we knew he had the briefcase, but nobody thought that the brass and the writers behind WWE were going to have the balls to script this guy cashing in during WrestleMania and during what was supposed to be Roman Reigns' moment. So now we have this pretty beautiful, you know, situation where Seth is a heel. He's a bad guy. He's got these two henchmen, Joey Mercury and uh, Jamie Noble, and they do all of his lickings. You know what I mean? He's just this evil guy, evil laugh. Ha ha, Roman. Ha ha, Dean. I got the champ. You guys kiss my ass, you know, so to speak. Now, everything's going good. Eventually, Seth Rollins tears his ACL. This is the reality of wrestling. Injuries are a real thing. These are real athletes. The stunts that they're doing in the ring, real. The risks they're taking, real. Outcomes, planning, promos, all of this is scripted. I get it. But this is why I love wrestling, because the art form of it, the athleticism required, the risk-taking, the need to put yourself on the line to entertain these fans that have paid their hard-earned money to come see you and packed out this arena. That's the beauty of wrestling. That's the sacrifice behind it. And real things happen. So Seth tore his ACL. We don't have a champion now. Championship goes up for grabs. WWE does a tournament for it. That tournament concludes at SummerSlam of that same year. Sorry, Survivor Series of that same year. Who's in the final? Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose. I almost forgot that that final was Roman and Dean, but it was. It was Roman and Dean Ambrose. So like we said, guys, the Shield was their moneymaker for some years. And all signs were pointing to these three guys are going to be the faces of our company. We just have to play our cards right. Similar to how OKC had this three of, oh, my God, these are all world players. I can't believe we have these three guys all together. Our our ceiling is championship or bust. So Seth Rollins is out of the picture. You've got to replace him as champion. You have Roman and you have Dean, who emerged as the final two from this tournament. 
Now, a lot of people were pulling for Dean that night. I was even closet pulling for Dean myself. But they did a good thing with Roman Reigns where they put him against the authority. They finally stopped. Roman was saying stuff around this time like suffering succotash. He was, you know, making these big dog jokes. They made him wear clear contacts for a little while. They were trying all this corny stuff that just wasn't working. And then finally, for like a month, they let him, you know, be mad on television. They let him go off on the authority figures. They let him Superman punch Vince McMahon. They let him do all these things that are easy ways to gain the crowd's endearment. And sure enough, he beat Dean Ambrose that night pretty cleanly. Guess what happens next? (laughs) Roman Reigns beats Dean Ambrose. Confetti falls. Roman is WWE champion for the first time. Remember, he's always supposed to have been the guy. He finally has the belt in his hands. It's his. The music hits for Sheamus, who is the next man holding the money in the bank briefcase after Seth Rollins. He comes down the ring. Roman gets set up. He gets screwed by the authority in Triple H again. And Sheamus bro kicks his head off, takes his title that night. Roman's champion for all of 30 minutes. 30 seconds, rather. And he's now having the chase again. So Dean kind of gets put on the back burner again. And Roman is now chasing to get his title back again. Fast forward a couple months later, he wins the title. He beats he beats Sheamus Ford on Raw. So now he's this crown champion again. Now he's a two-time champion in just a matter of a month. The month after that, the Royal Rumble, we're, we're back to this fateful stage where Roman is loved when he's still in the shield. He's booed when he's not in the shield, but is actually booked to win it. And what do we do for this three-peat Royal Rumble? We make Roman Reigns put his championship on the line in the 30-man Royal Rumble match. This is something that has never been successfully done, clearly. And also, he had to enter that match number one. So, of course, he doesn't win it. Guess who does? The returning Triple H with his last reign as WWE champion. He wins the belt that night at the Royal Rumble. He was a 30th entrant. He takes the belt to WrestleMania, where he has this rematch in Dallas against Roman Reigns, one-on-one. Roman Reigns goes over Triple H at WrestleMania at AT AT&T Stadium with 80,000, 100,000 fans. He is now a three-time WWE champion. And he's carrying the brand forward again, kind of. And that, that... Match that main event went over to uh, let's just say mixed mixed reviews for that. It was predictable. We all knew that Roman was going to be the champion again, so he was. It's 2015 now. Now, remember our dear friend Seth Rollins, who tore his ACL about one calendar year before this. Well. Our guy Seth Rollins is back. He's back. It's about June of 2015. He makes his surprise return at the end of a pay-per-view. And, oh, man, 
He's wearing a shirt that says redesign, rebuild, reconquer or something like that. And he had the roar of the crowd behind him. They hated him when he left because he was a bad guy. Real adversity happens. Came back from the injury, picks the belt up, and he's like, this is mine. Everybody's like, yeah, we want Seth back. Screw Roman. We're tired of Roman already. Seth is back. Let's go. Except Seth, Seth didn't accept the uh the the fan favorite role. He still was kind of ambiguous and he was still a bad guy, but folks weren't in love with Roman. So they were like, we don't care. So it is now money in the bank 2015. Guess who wins the money in the bank ladder match on this night? You guessed it. The third man who we haven't talked about as much. Dean Ambrose finally gets his hands on that money in the bank briefcase, which is, hey, that means you, buddy, you're next in line. We're, we're waiting on your turn to become the WWE champion, lead this brand from on top. That's what winning the briefcase means. On that same show, we had Roman defending his title against the returning Seth Rollins, who never lost his title. This is Roman, who's held the belt since WrestleMania, three-time WWE champion Roman Reigns, that is, who's already lapped his shield brethren in less than six months in terms of title reigns. And like I said, folks, Roman was always supposed to be the guy. He was supposed to be the leader. Now, another dose of reality into wrestling. Roman Reigns was due to go away because our guy failed the drug test. Now, it wasn't steroids in the traditional sense, but a little more backstory on Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns also has leukemia. He stopped playing college football because of his real battles with cancer and with leukemia and his real limitations athletically, or so it seemed at that time. So Roman fails this drug test for whatever reason, but everybody knows that Roman has this real-life medical condition so we're not you know prior times if somebody were to test negative and have to get popped at a time where they're getting suspended as the champion that came with real bad repercussions real bad you know sour taste in the mouth of the fans because it's kind of like hey you cheated the game you, you know it's like steroid eras in baseball Barry Bonds you know just could never get a fair shake after that but this happens to Roman. He fails the drug test for whatever reason. And we know that he's probably going on a, hot, a little hiatus. Didn't mean that he had to lose. But Seth Rollins pins Roman Reigns in the main event of Money in the Bank 2015 clean and becomes the new WWE heavyweight champion again. Second time for Seth Rollins. It's a triumphant return of this injury arc where he made it back to the mountaintop. He wins the belt. Ref hands him the belt. He smacks his right knee, looking at the audience. And he's like, I'm back, baby. Let's go. Guess what happens? Dean Ambrose's music hits. Dean Ambrose, the third man of the Shield, two years after the Shield, or only a year and some change fully after the Shield dissolved. 
Dean Ambrose comes out. And remember, I told you that Seth hit Dean with that chair about 15 times. The bad blood after the Shield breakup was between Seth and Dean Ambrose. It wasn't between Roman and the other guys. Roman went on to become the guy. So now Seth wins. Remember, I told you he didn't embrace the fan favorite role because he wasn't supposed to be that role yet. He won, and they were booking Dean Ambrose, who came down the ring, cashed in his money in the bank briefcase, pinned Seth Rollins the same way Roman lost his belt right after winning it. Seth loses his belt right after winning it. And Dean Ambrose becomes WWE champion for the first time ever. And on this one night, ladies and gentlemen, Money in the Bank 2015, all three members of the Shield were at one time WWE champion. Very poetic, very long-term story booking. You know, a great ending to that pay-per-view Wonderful story told, years and years of stories and booking in real life all stirred together to create that moment. And Dean is now on top, like everybody had wanted for Dean at that time, because Dean's always just been the no frills guy. I'm not going to go jump off all the ropes. I'm not going to, you know, put on all these flashy colors. I'm going to wear a tank top and I'm coming down there to fight. So Dean's now the guy. He gets his run with the belt 2015. And a brand split ensues. They kind of separate these guys a little bit. And Dean never reaches the individual highs that Seth Rollins hits on the other brand. And that Roman Reigns is a lock for because he will always be presented that way. Because that's the company's mission. Roman Reigns without fighting for the championship, he goes on, like I said, he may have been at WrestleMania 31 against Brock, where Seth cashed in. He may have been at 32 against Triple H, won the belt. Guess what? The following year, he was in the main event again, and it wasn't even for the title. He was the second person to defeat Undertaker at WrestleMania. Another mixed opinion decision, but a decision that did great things for Roman Reigns because the Undertaker was reaching the end of his career at the end of that match. He took his jacket, he took his hat and his gloves and he left it in the middle of the ring. And it was what we were all left with to believe was the last time we were going to see The Undertaker wrestle. The next night on Raw, the Roman Reigns walks out showered with booze, incredible booze, incredible heat. And he says one sentence. He says, this is my yard now. Drops the mic. Everybody's killing this guy. They hated it, but it was great. It was great stuff for Roman. He finally kind of hit a point where he was he was in he was in gear. He was in gear, and uh, I'm sure that there was another title run for him soon after. I'm going to fast forward because those were the highlights of the Shield and the three of those guys run while they were still together in WWE. Now mentioned how Dean Ambrose struggled to find himself. Dean Ambrose eventually had a a depressive state in WWE. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with his placement, his positioning, his booking, his direction. His ideas weren't being received. And he says, all right, guys, well, screw this, man. I I think I'm done here. 
honestly think I'm done here. And, you know, the internet wrestling community is aware of contractual things. And we know that yeah, Dean's contract is up. He, it, by all accounts, he's done. We're not going to see any more Dean Ambrose on WWE TV. And this is at a time where he's, you know, been a fixture for six or seven years. So that was, you know, shaky territory where it was, wow, all right, this thing's really evolved. What what a time, man. It's never coming back, you know, in terms of the shield. And that's why I give him the James Harden comparison, because James Harden was the first person out of OKC. When when push came to shove, they made a move where they got rid of Harden, and Harden went on to find himself elsewhere and reach even greater ceilings, foreshadowing about Dean Ambrose, who we now know and refer to and love as John Moxley. So we're getting back into Mox in just a little bit. But sticking with Roman, because we're going to kind of tie up why these why this analogy sticks. And it it's going to serve as my introduction of where the current wrestling landscape is. Then we're going to call it a day on this pod. But I gave Roman the KD comparisons because if you guys haven't been able to follow me now, Roman was the guy. He was the one who was meant for the main event spot, meant to be champion, meant to bring the company forward. However, it wasn't working. It just wasn't working organically, and WWE found themselves in another position. Now, fast forward to 2020, where Roman's supposed to main event, WrestleMania 36, I believe, but they stopped counting, so I lose track of the numbers right there as well. But this is WrestleMania 2020, a show that was marred by the pandemic. WrestleMania happens every late March early April. Guess when the pandemic hit? It hit a week before WrestleMania in Tampa that year. Roman was scheduled to defend. Actually, actually, Roman was not the champion. He was going to face Goldberg, who just returned to WWE. Goldberg from WCW fame. Battle of the Spears. He was going to face Goldberg in the main event at WrestleMania. This is a note in history for my wrestling fans who are listening that nobody brings back up. Nobody ever does. Because without this natural sequence of events, we never get to where we are today with our tribal chief, Roman Reigns. It doesn't happen. Because it wouldn't have happened. It would, the course would have been completely altered. But Roman Reigns is scheduled to defend or to compete for the WWE Championship against Goldberg, who just won the title over our dear friend, The Fiend. The Fiend and Bray Wyatt is for another episode. But I have so much to say and so many feelings about Bray Wyatt and The Fiend. But The Fiend goes down in a disappointing blaze of glory to Goldberg. They fed him to... The spearing, bald-headed beast that, that that is Goldberg to set up this, you know, again, generational clash between Goldberg and Roman Reigns. Pandemic happens. This is when 
there was no certainty around what COVID was. And folks had no choice but to go home and be with their families because talk, folks was out here dying and we didn't get it yet. Remember, I said this, Roman has leukemia in real life. So he is actually in the percentile of folks who were especially cautious and needed to be around coronavirus because we didn't know how it was going to adversely affect those with other medical complications. So Roman stood nothing to risk by being exposed to everybody in the company and the traveling that they were having to do at the time because he's got a real life medical complication that we can't play with. He also just had twin kids and Roman now has five of these guys. Roman's got five kids, but he just had twins before WrestleMania that year when the pandemic started. And for him, it was a no brainer that, Hey, WrestleMania is next week. I know I can't do it. I got to go home. I got to protect my health. I got to be there for my newborns. I got to be there for my wife who just delivered. And we have no idea what the future holds right now. So Roman pulls out of this main event for WrestleMania. That WrestleMania goes on to be one of the uh, most bizarre of all time. Probably the most bizarre of all time. It's held in a studio in an empty warehouse in Connecticut where, you know, they, they they reset whatever that main event was supposed to be. Somebody else ends up winning the title. Title ends up going to Braun Strowman, this big guy. The pandemic era <laughs> changed wrestling. Wrestling was one of the only forms of, of sports, of entertainment, of television that powered right through the pandemic. Didn't take a day off. Didn't take... Uh, episode off of content. It took them a month or so to kind of find their groove. That's for sure. It was very cringy stuff happening for a little bit. But once they figured out that they could simulate noise, they could simulate the appearance of fans, they could keep this thing going. They figured out how to. And the ball kept rolling with WWE. Fast forward to SummerSlam of that year, about four or five months later. Braun Strowman is defending that belt that he won, that Roman was meant to win, against Bray Wyatt again at SummerSlam in a swamp match. This swamp match goes to a no contest because guess who showed up? Roman Reigns. About four or five months into the pandemic, we see Roman for the first time, had no idea when we were going to see Roman again. Because, like I said, this pandemic had reached no version of certainty. It wouldn't for years until after it happened. Roman shows up, surprised to us all. Mind you, at this time, WWE, they figured out what they were doing. They were airing shows remotely in one building. You know, there was contact tracing and there was daily testing. And there was all of these things to at least set up some kind of border and parameters behind how they were operating and keeping people safe. Roman was now confident that this was going to work. He comes back, breaks up this championship match. The show ends with no result. He has a shirt that says, wreck everyone and leave. That's what he did. 
the next week, they announced that there's going to be a triple threat match for the title with Bray, Braun, and Roman. Because we need a champion. We need a winner. Roman just came and messed up all of our plans. Roman wins that triple threat match. He wrecks these two guys, pins them, and he leaves. He has a championship. The next time we see Roman Reigns on television, on Friday Night SmackDown, we see Roman. He says a little something quickly into the microphone. The microphone pans out. And you see this man, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is, is a lifer in this industry as well. Founder of ECW, and promoter of ECW. He introduced Brock Lesnar as the next big thing in the early 2000s. He managed CM Punk when he went on to have his record-breaking reign of 454 days. He went to manage Brock Lesnar when he beat The Undertaker for the very first time at WrestleMania. Paul Heyman is a harbinger of things to come. So when we saw Paul Heyman next to Roman Reigns, the wrestling world collectively dropped their jaw. It was, oh boy, what do we have here? Needless to say, folks, that title reign that started in the fall of 2020 at Payback. Checks watch is still going to this damn day. Folks, we're talking about the first six months of the pandemic when Roman captured that title. Roman has successfully defended that championship at three consecutive WrestleManias since. It's unheard of. It's unfathomable. The run that he is on just this past May, he surpassed the 1,000 days as champion. I mentioned the CM Punk record-breaking run from 2011 to 2012 in what was known as the Summer of Punk. And what is my personal favorite match of all time that started that out, that started that feud, Money in the Bank 2011, John Cena versus CM Punk. Punk wins the title. He walks out, comes back months later, wins this title again, holds it for a year in about two, three months. And it was a historic championship reign managed by Paul Heyman that ended with the loss to The Rock in 2013. The Rock, or in 2012, The Rock went on to lose that championship to John Cena in the main event of WrestleMania. Roman Reigns' current title reign is damn near three times as long as that. It's going on three times as long. This is more than uncharted territory, folks. This is shared territory that we never thought we would see as a wrestling community. Somebody holding the title for over 1,000 days. Hasn't been done since before there was a WrestleMania. The first WrestleMania was in 1985. 
guess what, folks? Roman's holding that belt firmly right now. And not only, I remember I we spoke all this time about how Roman was supposed to be the guy. He was always supposed to be the guy, but it just wasn't clicking. Well, subtract all the fans from the live shows. And what do you know? Roman Reigns literally starts walking off the damn screen. He becomes a completely different performer on camera. It's as if John Cena said this perfectly. I hate to try and steal these words and pass them off his mind. But he said that in that pandemic era, we realized, and John knows his acting, he said, we realized that Roman Reigns is meant for film. He's a performer that's meant for the big screen. Now, the live television screen is a completely different beast that he has now learned to conquer as well. But it was that year-plus stretch where he was getting that title reign off the ground, where there was no fans in the building, and they told this family-oriented storyline with him and his cousins, the Usos. And the formation of the bloodline that has absolutely transcended wrestling right now and has brought the company to new heights financially. It has pushed the borders globally. It is pushing the bar digitally, shattering numbers that previously stood for the company in terms of benchmarks and how successful they could be. Roman's blown this game open. It's insane, folks. I, I finally had to, you know, describe this in all this proper context. I gave him a shout out on the last episode with Terrell. I said, shout out to the tribal chief because it's, I, it's ridiculous, folks. And we're going to get into some of the peaks and the highs of the Bloodline storyline when I get Quest on here because it has given us, oh my Lord, it has given us the best stories I've ever seen told in wrestling. I've been watching since I was five. And we're getting, in my opinion, bar none, the best stuff I've ever been treated to without the benefit of hindsight and nostalgia. It's insane. It's completely objective. I'm not making this up. I'm not capping. I am conveying this to the lapsed fan that what Roman has done in the past three years and one consecutive title reign that hasn't ended is unlike anything you fathomed for the world of wrestling. I've seen this man during this run at SummerSlam 2021 against John Cena. Guess what? That same reign's still happening. He did. <laughs> oh, there, there's so much to it, folks. They have ended shows in Montreal, in Saudi Arabia, in the UK, all over the United States, in just eating out of your hand moments, moments where you're hanging on to the lines that are being said, not even the outcome of the match. 
We're watching this match past the outcome of the main event to see what drama unfolds in the ring live. And that's all we can literally, it's the bee's knees right now. It's insane, folks. And what Roman's done in this title reign is it's elevated the title so much. Two years into it, he unified the titles. One title wasn't enough. He had to go beat Brock Lesnar again, take the other top belt in the company, hold them both hostage for another year until the darling Cody Rhodes makes his return. And he gets this moment at WrestleMania in Hollywood this past year where everybody's rooting for Cody. Everybody wants him to beat Roman. And guess what happens? The bloodline came out on top. And Roman won again. And everybody's stomachs just dropped when Roman came out victorious again. And it's this thing has so much life. It has so much legs and runway ahead of it still that we just all have to enjoy being on the ride. It's incredible. But like I said, he took both titles, held them all hostage. Nobody's beaten him. Except there's one guy Roman hasn't beaten. Venture to guess who that guy is? Seth freaking Rollins. To this day, Roman Reigns has never beaten Seth Rollins one-on-one. And they did something very, very intelligent. And it was nicely done and executed. War Rumble of 2022 in San Antonio, Roman Reigns faced off against Seth Rollins. Now, we're coming back to Seth Rollins now. Seth always had a connection with the audience. He was always either loved or booed because he was a bad guy or somewhere in between. But we're always enjoying Seth on our television screens, whether it's as a good guy or a bad guy. We're here for Seth Rollins content, however it comes. So he becomes a a little bit of a madman during this pandemic era. He becomes the Monday night Messiah. The Messiah was, you know, he believed in himself versus the world. It's kind of uh, comparisons to the Joker in the DC universe of this guy who's almost gone mad in his evil thinking and, you know, origin story. But he's not wrong. And Roman and Seth face each other in the main event of Royal Rumble 2022. But Roman can't beat Seth. He he can't get, he can't pin Seth. He eventually loses his cool, starts teeing off on him with a chair, I believe, disqualifies. You hold on to the title when you lose by disqualification in wrestling. So... Roman Reigns kind of snapped in that match. Couldn't beat Seth. Got himself disqualified. It never had a proper conclusion. But I love, love, love that untied thread right there because it kept going. The fact that Seth is the only man walking the planet that can say, hey, Roman's taking everybody out except me. And if you recall, 
when Seth came back from that ACL injury and he pinned Roman Reigns and he slapped his knee and he took his title from him the last time, he's got these two marquee victories over Roman. And in Roman's dominance over the past three years, like I said, he goes on to unify the titles. The fans want more. There's two shows. Roman's on SmackDown on Friday nights on Fox, national television every week. Last week, they did a 35-minute segment to open the show on SmackDown with no wrestling. It was a bloodline drama segment promo for 36 minutes. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It had the highest damn rating on television. That's how over the bloodline is. Highest rating in television for that night. It's ridiculous, folks. So the need is, is stronger than ever on the other brand that, hey, we need a championship because Roman, I get it. He's a champion for both brands, but Roman's Roman's box office. Roman defenses are like Muhammad Ali fights. They're like Floyd Mayweather fights. You're getting one every four or five it's not that long but you're getting roman title defenses few and far between because he's earned it the magnitude comes with it and the plot development that's happening underneath has always had the proper pace to where you don't just walk into an opportunity now against roman he's he's he has a shirt that says god mode greatness on a different level you don't get to just walk into these title matches. These title matches take months to build, which is why that Cody loss was such a gut punch for all the fans. I was rooting for Roman. Thank you. Acknowledge the tribal chief. <laughs> so w Triple H, who is the brains and the, the powers that be behind WWE still, introduces a new world heavyweight championship for the Monday Night Raw brand exclusively because they need another title. And Triple H has deep-rooted connections to the World Heavyweight title. It was a title that he held hostage in the 2000s. And they, he, he unveils this new-designed, modern take on the classic big gold belt that goes all the way back to WCW and before that, that Ric Flair held time and time again. And... They hold a tournament over the course of a month to claim to, to crown this champion again. Guess who wins that championship tournament? Seth freaking Rollins. So today in WWE, who are the pole bearers, the flag bearers, should you say? It's Roman Reigns in a league of his own, undisputed WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion. Reign going on year three and a half. And who do we have now as the workman's heavyweight champion that you're going to get defenses from on the weekly basis and says no to nobody, turns down no challenger? You got Seth Rollins on the other show. And the Shield debuted in 2012, folks, 11 years ago. 11 years later, those guys, 1A and 1B in this company, they are the life of this company and it's pretty impressive and that just leaves our dear friend john moxley and this is the, the the way we'll wrap 
the current state of professional wrestling. Because for the lapsed fan, you may have seen something on social media. You may have seen it on your local TV listings Wednesday night, every Wednesday night on TNT or TBS. This little company, this new promotion called All Elite Wrestling. All Elite Wrestling was founded in 2021, the year after the pandemic. And the basis for All Elite Wrestling was, hey guys, let's assemble the wrestling Avengers from around the world that are not WWE and let's come together and let's make a new promotion that will domestically rival the WWE because there has not been one successful company that has launched and set out on that journey in the at least 30-year history that we have of Monday Night Raw. There hasn't been one. WCW had an era. TNA had an era. Anything else domestically didn't come close to what WWE was. So, AEW was wrestler-founded. It was put together by the likes of the Young Bucks, the Elite, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, who left WWE, Cody Rhodes, who left WWE. It was the original. These were all executive producers, executive vice presidents of All Elite Wrestling. And they had money from billionaire Tony Khan, who was also the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they set up shop where their home base originally was down in Jacksonville. It's now in Chicago. But they have now successfully launched a competitor to WWE because the appetite for professional wrestling is on a different level in 2023. Guess who was the surprise debut? On the inaugural All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view, known as All In, maybe it was All Out, I forget. But it was held in Las Vegas, Nevada, 2021, Memorial Day weekend. Guess who made their return to wrestling after leaving the WWE and not being heard from, going off the grid for that entire pandemic era? Who did we see make his appearance in AEW? That first night after the main event, cliffhanger, grand reveal at the end of the show, none other than the man formerly known as Dean Ambrose, born again as John Moxley. John Moxley took everything that Dean Ambrose was and he went over it in erasable marker, Herman and Eek. He said, all right, John Moxley's, I mean, Dean Ambrose is built off being tough, built off a love for pro wrestling, built off of real discipline and, you know, grit and passion for this business. Let's turn that up to 150 because John Moxley is just an ultimate badass in a world of, you know, gimmick wrestling and 
we've seen every personality there is to see. The fact that John Moxley went on to become the second AEW world champion and I believe had the longest reign. And he's also now a three-time AEW world champion, has the most reigns period ever, and currently has the best record in AEW. The fact that we saw him just redesign himself and do it by only sticking to the basics, turning up the intensity, the passion in his promos, the real life drawbacks. John Moxley, like we said, he had a depressive state. He had been combative at times. He did have to go to rehab for alcohol. He did have real life hardship to overcome. So when he grabs a microphone and he starts mouthing off to the audience, when his music hits and the crowd erupts and yells, wow, thanks. And he comes out there. It's understood that we are getting the most authentic person in wrestling. How he accomplished that is only a testament to John Moxley. But when we see him, we know that this is essentially, you know, the next next closest thing to just the stone cold that we have. And he's nothing like what that stone cold was. There's nothing funny about John Moxley, but when you're getting out there, you're getting a badass. You're getting a person that will bleed. You're getting a person that will get hurt person that will go through whatever it takes and take it and keep on walking to carry the flag of professional wrestling, not just AEW. But I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for myself. This is my means of an income. I am myself in this ring. Love me or hate me. But this is what you're going to get. And it's authentic. And Mox, in in a a James Harden-esque fashion, says, screw it, man. I'm just going to do my own thing, dude. I'm going to do my own thing over here. Watch me be great. That's exactly what he's done. And he's spearheading a company where he's he will never cross paths with Dean Ambrose, with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns for the foreseeable future, at least. He also might become the first man to hold the WWE Championship, the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And he just alluded that his next on his list is the New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP Heavyweight Championship, which if he were to pull off that three, that three P, which I think he will, he will be the first man in professional wrestling to do that. And these three guys, man, Roman, Seth, and Dean, also known as John Moxley, what they've done for the world of professional wrestling and carrying it. And from what was a very, 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 very different landscape in 2012. An era when, where somebody as diehard as me didn't care about wrestling. To today, where these three guys are still the guys. And they're the ones who can look around and say, hey, y'all. Y'all didn't do what we did for this past decade. You guys just didn't. And you'll never be able to say you did. It's the stuff of legend. 
it, it will go down in history. And there will be a documentary on it about how we were comparable to these three guys on the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2011 that all went on to be MVPs and break records and first team all NBA and lead the league and this and that and, and just be icons and stars on our own making. And we all started out right here together. And I think that's it, folks. That, that, that's the beauty of it. If that didn't get you just a little bit jazzed to watch some damn wrestling or to go on YouTube and watch some highlights or to at the bare minimum, keep listening to this podcast. I don't know what's going to do it, folks. I really don't. Actually, I do. <laughs> you watch watch that reaction in Montreal for Sami Zayn and tell me that you're not a fan of wrestling. Watch Jey Uso storm his brother and fake kick his brother out before kicking Roman Reigns in the face and tell me that you're not entertained. It's impossible, guys. I, I, we love wrestling. Wrestling's great. Shout out to Cheap Heat. Shout out to all the podcasters who have held me down and influenced me along the way and just kept up my interest in wrestling when I didn't have time to record these shows every week and stay up to date. But uh, it happened all for a reason, folks. That's without question. And I've got a Monday Night Raw to get to and digest. So I'm going to get off of here. But it's been fun. It's been real Oh man, we did this whole podcast without mentioning without mentioning LA Night. Yeah. But we will soon enough. Till next time, folks. <laughs>